What a strange and easy gospel reading on a Sunday during this bright summer holiday. Perhaps I should have preached last week, Terry. <laughs> I mean, after being stuck at home during a global pandemic, tired of this unending war and wars around the world, and just the weariness of political upheavals flooding our news feeds, don't we deserve or do we need a well-deserved break? Everyone can just eat, drink, and be merry. What's wrong with that? Why can't we just sing, don't worry, be happy, all day long? <laughs> then again, maybe not everyone is able to have a new, normal holiday. I guess in the last month, some of us, or all of us here, have heard of friends battling with illness, or those struggling with grief that comes with the death of a loved one. Each news becomes an invitation. Each news of death or illness or suffering becomes an invitation for introspection, even during this time, where we can deeply scan into our human condition. In the past year, rather than being amazed by the James Webb telescope, I have been amazed by the different medical instruments, advanced medical instruments, that are able to look into the human body and even to examine cells at a molecular level, it's totally mind-blowing, but it reveals things that we never thought was there in our bodies. So for me, the parables in the Gospels play a similar function like a microscope. It helps us to see what's going on inside of us as individuals, but also as a collective humanity. How we see life, what we value, what grabs hold of us? Parables are amazing tools that enable us to go beyond the molecular level into the realm, and we can use this old language, the realm of the soul. In Luke, the findings doesn't look good when it comes to the rich and the wealthy. Luke's often negative portrayal of the rich troubles us, and this is something that's not comfortable. When the rich people don't get the positive reviews, unlike the magazines that we have at the newsstand, is it because they are rich? Does the preferential option for the poor means a bias against the rich? Is there something more? So these are the questions that arise when you read through Luke. And the story of our passage invites us to pause. Here we go. Someone demanding some legal opinion, almost like asking Jesus to give a fatwa, you know. Sounds like he's not getting along with his brother. He wants his share. So Jesus, in order to prove his rabbi uh, legal opinion, spiritual, theological, problem-solving credentials, fix this. Stop. Before you go on, Jesus says, it's time to have a deep microscopic probe beyond the surface to what's really at stake here. Beware of all kinds of greed, he says. But even deeper behind the greed, how about the need to be on con in control of your own possessions, your own possessions? Now, Jesus is not going to be used or manipulated to fit one's agenda of self. So he takes us to the parable. 
for this microscopic look. The rich man, he doesn't have problem with money, possessions, or land. In fact, he seems to have God's favor. I mean, what abundance he has, even in terms of the harvest. That's supposed to be the sign of God's favor, right? But what's even more striking is how isolated he is by his own choice. We heard it just now, very well read. I will do this, I will pull down, I will build, I will store. And most striking of all, almost in a God-like voice, he says, I will say to my soul, that's quite God-like, idolatrous. In other words, this is my life, nothing else, no one else, it's all about me. Nothing else matters, no one else matters. I mean, who's going to tear down the barns? Who's going to build it anyway? It's about my capacity to store, to define my success or who I am. Not about sharing the abundance of the harvest. Not the workers, no mention. Not the family, not the friends, and surely not God. Hold on. You are speaking, right, rich man? But God speaks. Oh, he speaks. Because your life can be taken away just with a snap of a finger. That would be my paraphrase. Just like that. All of this stuff, whose will it be? It's not where they will be. It will be there. But whose will it be? Surely not yours. Therefore, like a good Lutheran, I would say, being curved in is the worst way to live. And our clinging on to possessions is an indicator to that. For Luke, negativity on the rich is more than just about possessions. It's also about the direction of one's heart towards God or self, towards others outward or always curved inward. Where is the richness directed to? Why is he called a fool? Isn't he smart? Isn't he wise? He's called a fool because he's doing exactly what the preacher in Ecclesiastes warned against. Don't chase after the wind. Life is vanity. In fact, the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew Bible phrase is more about life is smoke. It's vapor. You can't grasp it. You can't hold on to it. And that's why I found, uh, and we got permission from the artist James Jacknett, in the, and just look at the cover. And this is helpful because the cover is his modernized interpretation for the parable. What do you see? What comes to your mind? I, I won't do a pedagogical thing like last week, but just think about it. What do you see? Well, at least I can see that the frame is surrounded by all the possessions. All of these represent concretely, well, things that we need, we want, and what often occupies our attention. Now, not all of them are really bad, right? I mean, I need shoes, but do I need this type of shoe? I need the news, I need to know what's going on. But the TV here contains a horrifying face. Of course, there's much more. What do you see? Sure, all of this surrounds us. In fact, the church here is surrounded by this right down the street. That's interesting. 
It frames much of our lives, but does it consume us? Does it control us? Especially when it's us that matters. So that's the first thing I observe. I'm not sure what you got. Second, look at the two contrasting pictures. The rich man has a large mansion, plenty to store his, his stuff. Uh, but there's something interesting. There's this small little sculpture, or maybe it's a trophy, signifying, and there's a hole there. It's a strange thing, you know. There's no one else there but that trophy, but there's a hole. I wonder whether the artist is really trying to say, look, there's the emptiness there in spite of all that you have, but no one is there. And here death comes to demand his life at the end. And this vision of life on the left is curved in, empty and sad. Now, we're foolish when we curve inward, isn't it? Preoccupied with storing for ourselves. But when we face death, or when someone we love or we know faces death, everything needs to stop because, so what? If you have all of this, what's the point? The contrasting picture on the right is a modest building, quite small, full of people. I guess it's about relationships. The artist says that this is about family. I would like to extend it. It's about friends too. It's rich towards others, the relationships that matter. And then, of course, in the parable, you find that Jesus here uses a very strange phrase. He says, you need to be rich toward God. I mean, what Jesus is saying is the whole opposite. What does being rich toward God look like? Rather than keeping treasures for yourself, share your treasures with others. That would be a different way of turning that phrase. And be rich toward God. In fact, Bible scholars have been arguing about whether that's the right way to translate it, rich toward God. And it's fascinating to find an article just debating about how to translate this text. It's difficult. So one scholar suggested that you can translate this as, after the whole argument, giving to God. In fact, that's probably closer to the missing text that we didn't read today, that it would have been nice to have it. Apparently, the verses after this is not found in the lectionary. I think we prefer the Matthew version. Matthew seems to get the privilege. But Luke has this same text as well, about treasures in heaven, not worrying, so on and so forth. But giving to God is also found in the early church where the early patristic fathers would even say giving to the poor is actually giving God alone. That's interesting. So, I know that there are many Methodists in the house and John Wesley's famous phrase was earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can, right? It's really about giving and not just storing. Because what's missing in the reading is actually reconnecting to that giving and generous God. I think if we just stop here, it's quite a sad place to stop on a bright Sunday morning. But we need that. We need to stop because we could be just dragged on just as everyone is. It's great to stop. But Jesus gives us a different picture. I guess if there's another painting after this, it would have a third frame where it's about a God that knows. 
Don't worry. God knows. A God that cares. A God that clothes lilies. A God that feeds the ravens. It's not about the storage capacity. It's about the sharing capacity with others that comes when we embrace this God who is generous, who turns us outward, not inward, who turns our inward self upward to live out the kingdom here among us so that our lives are not defined by storing but seeking God's kingdom that involves, later it talks about almsgiving, giving and sharing. So I guess that's the reason why this Bible scholar said that we could say be rich toward God can mean giving to God as well. And that's why I come back to John Wesley again. Because people might say, well, I like to earn all I can, save all I can, and then like a good Asian, I would say, eat all you can. <laughs> no, it's give all you can. Because then when we give, our hands now are not preoccupied with grasping, with holding, but opening up and sharing with others. A friend came um, back from a home country, deeply aware of her after holiday, her privilege in Switzerland. And she shared about it, you know, how privileged she was after going back to her home country, coming back here. So I paused to hear what is next, because usually what we might expect someone to say is, well, I'm so thankful, I'm so fortunate, I'm not like someone else or the poor. She said that, but she actually went one step further. She said, Sivin, I think I need to give. I want to share. It's not just feeling good about myself, but I want to open up myself more. Now, that's not a bad result for a holiday. It's one step, a small step. And I think it's even more important when many of us work in organizations that talk about problems of poverty, questioning systems of economic injustice, and these, it's tempting to say these are problems out there rather than we have to wrestle with it. It's good to stop and have a check on our foolish or wise living indicators. So the artwork that we saw today is important. It's one part of it. But I wonder what would be a third picture, and I think Jesus gives us that picture of a God who is generous, so that when we give, we know we give out of that generosity of God. But what would a fourth picture look like? I could imagine this. The fourth picture would look like us coming out of the house, welcoming others, building together, sharing together. And what we are doing is more than just meeting needs. It's actually giving to God an application of loving God and loving neighbor. When we give to our neighbors, when we give to those around us, we are giving to God. So let's paint a new artwork this coming summer, replacing all kinds of greed with all kinds of giving. Being rich toward God is giving to God. Amen.